Lockdown 3.0, the Britney documentary that has everyone talking, and the unexpected fashion retailer selling sex toys. We're Jasmine and Maggie, and you're listening to Culture Club, our weekly chat about pop culture, current affairs, the internet, and our lives. We acknowledge that the Wurundjeri and Woonwurrung people are the traditional custodians of the land upon which we live, work, and record this podcast. We would like to pay our respects to elders past, present, and emerging. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Welcome to this week's episode of Culture Club, where we are coming to you live on Valentine's Day from Lockdown 3.0 in Melbourne. Can you believe it? We're in another lockdown. I think my brain's kind of trying to convince me otherwise. Like I'm not really thinking about it, if you know what I mean. Yeah, just numb. I can imagine Mm -hmm. you like... I was so lucky that I skipped town and missed the massive second lockdown. Um, but I can imagine that everyone must be feeling so bloody anxious and traumatized literally from mm. your last, like it was only a few months ago that you were deep in lockdown. So yeah. Yeah. Are you feeling okay? Yeah. Like the day that the news kind of came out with the press conference, I was like staying away from the news, staying away from my phone, not really thinking about it. And, you know, it's easy to say like, oh, it's only five days because if it is only five days, that's great. But it's that fear of it extending and the unknown. And it's like, oh, it's happening again. And um, honestly, it's really overwhelming. Um, Today, I was just like, I don't think I can take it if we, you know, have to continue, like, I don't know what to do, Mm. which sounds, it's so funny because if you ask me, oh, what was lockdown like last year? I would have honestly been like, yeah, it was was all right. Like, of course, hard, but, you know, I'm an introvert. I like working. And I think it's just like me not letting myself remember like the low points Mm. of it. Um, But that's a coping mechanism is like looking back at something and being like, oh, it wasn't that bad. But yeah. when you were in it, it was rough. So fingers yeah. crossed that this is just a circuit breaker. I'm pretty optimistic mm-hmm. because I my last weekend in – or second last weekend in Brisbane was spent in that three-day mm. lockdown, snap lockdown, which was a similar vibe. Like I woke up in the morning and it was like that night we're going to lockdown and over a couple of cases. Um, mm. Obviously nowhere near as bad as like Melbourne, but um, – I'm hoping that it will be a Brisbane-Perth situation where it is just to buy contact traces time. Mm. But, yeah, thinking of everyone who is going through it this week, um, it's a tough time out there. And I hope we're not too Melbourne-centric, but, like, we live in Melbourne. So, you know, I know Perth just went through this five-day lockdown as well. So, you know, Mm. it's hard for everyone across the country right now, no matter your city postcode yeah Yeah. and I think it's good to know that while it can be quite like let's be honest a traumatic time going through lockdown I 100% agree with what's been happening because I would rather prioritize um lives and livelihoods I'm no expert that's why I'm I don't have a firm opinion I'm leaving it to the expert so I think it's okay to feel sad and upset about this stuff while still agreeing with the rules in place or to whatever extent that might be for everyone I just feel like sometimes it's so hard with social media because if you like speak out about like you know feeling bummed it kind of oh like are you an anti-masker like blah 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 I think it can be like a little bit hard to navigate 
Yeah, when you can feel both. You can feel annoyed mm. by what's happened and also grateful that we live in a place that has locked down so quickly. Yeah. Um, there has been a few things I've seen around the internet lately, um, especially on TikTok when people were making videos about the Melbourne lockdown again. You know, people kind of like expressing their frustration with it and their sadness that we were back where you were a few months ago um, and people were commenting like cries in UK or mm. cries in USA. And it's mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. people should be able to express their feelings and like you shouldn't have to compare or invalidate I just don't think that helps anyone you also found a really nice piece in the Guardian that I also read as well do you want to tell us about it yeah I read a beautiful piece in the Guardian by Anna Spargo Ryan I sent it to a few friends and um, it was really kind of encapsulating the time we're in now so I just want to read a little bit out everyone right to go take a deep breath not of the infected air Don't breathe that, obviously. Inside, masked up breaths only. Try not to breathe on anyone else when you exhale. Take a deep, safe breath. Dan is yelling on the TV. This is different, he yells. He means the virus is different. I have no scientific knowledge of viruses whatsoever, but I won't let that stop me. This one is worse. Faster, I think? Bigger? Meaner? I can't hear what he's saying about the virus being different because everything else is exactly the same. The suit, the rules, the fines. A great pounding drum in my chest goes, the same, the same. How about yours? Do you know what happens when you're traumatized? Your brain changes. Your body can feel things even if you're not remembering them, even if you block it out. How were you when Dan got up in his suit today? I didn't even feel sad until after I realized I was already crying. Deep breath. No, but seriously, take one. Take 10, sing loudly, do an enthusiastic dance, lie on the floor, feel the weight of the world simultaneously crush and comfort you. Everyone right to go, like as far away as possible. Everyone right to go to the bottom of the ocean. We're doing so well. The numbers are still low. The man on the TV says we're the only place in the world that's come out of a second wave. All it cost us was our ability to watch a press conference without having a trauma response. Deep breath, Victoria, right into your toes. The trauma of past lockdowns is in there, but so are you, pushing bravely on. Five days is no time at all. You can make lasagna that takes more than five days. It's a flash in the pan. Sometimes it takes longer than five days to return a text message. And anyway, the tennis is on. I think that was such a lovely piece and kind of just summarises how a lot of us, I think, are feeling. Like you've got that, I guess uh-oh, familiar um, response to what's happening, but also the kind of like justification of like, you know, it'll be okay, we will get through this, we have gotten through this and just like living with both of those thoughts mm. together. Hmm. Yeah, definitely. So we're sending love to anyone anywhere in the world, not just Melbourne, who is either in lockdown or is still traumatised from lockdown. Yeah, it's hard. Yeah especially because this past week was also Lunar New Year Mm. and that is a big time for like celebration and being together with family. So seeing a lot of like my followers from like the US and such not being able to like be together, heart-wrenching and hopefully um, 
hopefully, oh God, I don't even want to talk too much about this, but it's just like hopefully when every, everything's back to normal or whatever, we can really appreciate the times that we have together. <laughs> In other news that came out this week that wasn't about coronavirus or Donald Trump being acquitted, um, mm. there was some pop culture news that made me optimistic for the future, and that was that Donald Glover, a.k.a. Childish Gambino, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge are creating a series reboot of the 2005 film Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah. Um, I mean, I saw you send me the video of like what they posted, what Childish Gambino posted on his story. And how exciting is this? It's kind of random. Like I would not have pegged that. I mean, now that I say that, Donald Glover does so much, literally like the Rihanna of, of the males, I guess. <laughs> Um, because, uh, you know, he acts heaps, whatever. I'm just going to make a fool of myself trying to say his credentials. Um, but how exciting is this? Yeah, so it's being made into an Amazon series. Uh, it's almost enough to make me get an Amazon Log. Prime account, just. And both actors are also executive producing the show. Obviously, Mr. and Mrs. Smith is the film where famously Brad and Angelina Jolie got together. So mm. it will be interesting to see it be remade for a 2021 audience. And yeah. Phoebe is also a writer on the new James Bond film. So that will be a similar like action vibe. So two projects that are both in a similar genre compared to like British dark comedies. Very interesting. I had no idea about the James Bond thing. Are they trying to like revamp James Bond? Because I'm thinking, remember, they got Billie Eilish to do that song mm. for it. So I've never seen James Bond, so I don't know anything. Um, but that's so exciting. I actually didn't watch Mr. and Mrs. Smith. So I think I was a little bit young. I was six years old when yeah. it came out. I um, seen but I want to watch it. Oh, you haven't? Mm-mm. I think I will now, though. So yeah. I have a reference point. A funny tweet that I saw by a staff writer at the New York Times, Chris Mandel, said, Donald Glover and Phoebe Waller-Bridge deciding to star in a Mr. and Mrs. Smith remake has the energy of something they both pitch while they were shit-faced and neither can tell if the other one was joking or not. <laughs> I love that so much. So it's such like a funny pairing. I don't know. I know. Exactly. It's like, hey, imagine if we did this. Yeah. And then, you know, look, I'm what's, keen. look what's come out of it. Yeah. Me too. That's in 2022. So today's main topic is about the Britney Spears documentary called Framing Britney by the New York Times. We're going to go through the documentary itself, what a conservatorship is, how Britney was treated by the media, as well as Justin Timberlake's apology. So let's get into it. Mm, I'm so excited to talk about this. I also feel, feel like we come to it from like different perspectives as well, just because I was quite young when Britney like rose to fame. So like the Britney I knew like in my head and what I'd been like, told about her is probably different to what you were told. And mm. then watching this doc, I'm like, oh my God, like I had no idea about most of her life and what she was actually like. So wow, interesting. Yeah. So this 75 minute film is distributed by Hulu and was created by New York Times. And it takes a look at Britney's rise to fame as well as how her mental health deteriorated and the way the media treated her as well as her 13-year conservatorship. 
So if you're not too sure what a conservatorship is, and I definitely hadn't heard of it apart from Britney Spears, um, basically it is legally defined as a court case where a judge appoints an individual or an organization called a conservator to care for someone who cannot care for themselves or who can't manage their own finances, according to the judicial branch of California. So typically this is um, seen in cases of like elderly people or what other things did they say? Old I people? I think it's mostly elderly people who have like big estates. They're not in the right state of mind, basically. It's really mm. rare for it to be someone young um, and it's mm. really in extreme cases. So she was put into the conservatorship after many stints in rehab during a mental breakdown and she that kind of occurred all around the time of her divorce from her husband, Kevin Federline, and the time she lost custody of her two boys as well as, of course, the hounding from the media, which is what, you know, a lot of us remember her by, sadly. She was put under a conservatorship that meant her father, Jamie Spears, um, had power over her financial and medical decisions, and that is still going on to this day. There's been many court cases around it. Apparently, Brittany wants to get out of it, but she can't really say that, like, publicly, Um in August, the pop star's court-appointed attorney said Brittany strongly opposed her father's position as a sole conservator of her estate and asked the court to limit his control. She said she would rather have a third party from like a finance company or someone to come in and look after it rather than her father. So yeah, a very tragic case. Also in the research I was doing this morning, I found that it wasn't mentioned in the um, documentary. In court, uh, Brittany is reportedly called a, quote, high-functioning conservative who deserves to know what action her father might be taking over her estate. Um, Brittany is also, quote, afraid of her father and they haven't spoken in a long time. So in November of last year, the judge did grant Brittany's request to have like an outside financial group called the Bessemer Trust as co-conservator, but they also didn't grant her other wish of removing her father. So it was still it's still quite contentious. However, since this documentary has come out, they have reopened the case and are looking at it again. So there's actually also been a development even since the documentary came out. On Thursday, this went to court again, and the LA County Superior Court Judge Brenda Penny denied Jamie Spears' objections to sharing monetary control over the conservatorship with a financial institution, so with Bessemer Trust, who we just mentioned. Mm. A lawyer has said, it appears that the court lacks some confidence in the father. So I think his power is slowly like getting further away, uh, his influence, I mean. Yeah, people are kind of questioning his fitness for the role, as well as how Britney's healed over the years. Like maybe she did really, really need this when she was at her lowest point, like 2007, 2008. But after 13 years of like being in this conservatorship, yeah, I think it's time to reassess the situation. Yeah, especially because during the last, oh God, I don't know, like seven years or so, she's been working so regularly and so hard. You know, she's been a judge on X Factor or American Idol, one of those shows, and she's been touring like consistently um, and releasing albums. So that doesn't look like someone that's unfit to me. Exactly. He's making money off her when she's, you know, supposedly unfit to like, look after herself but then she's like touring the world doing las vegas residencies and he's making money off that so i think there should definitely be some questioning 
Oh yeah, one thing I forgot was like in the documentary they mentioned that um they wanted to so her dad wanted to um change the conservatorship to make it what was it called like a joint business venture? Mm. What was it? I don't even remember the exact wording, but literally like stipulated that oh actually she's making more money so we actually all need to use more money for marketing so I think I should get a raise and um it should be seen as more of a, like a business deal which excuse me, it's actually not supposed to be. Mm, Like it's her life. That's why the Free Britney movement is so important is because they're actually saying Britney is a human person um, who's been treated terribly by so many people in her life and she needs to have rights again. Over the years, Britney hasn't been able to say too much about this in public, um, but her feelings are brought up once in the New York Times documentary um, as these rules were kind of coming into her life and we'll insert a little clip of it now. If I wasn't under the restraints that I'm under right now, you know, with all the lawyers and doctors and people analyzing me every day and all that kind of stuff, like if I wasn't there, I'd feel so liberated and feel like myself. When I tell them the way I feel, it's like they hear me, but they're really not listening. They're hearing what they want to hear. They're not really listening to what I'm telling them. It's like, it's bad. so heartbreaking to hear and watch one thing that stood out for me for this documentary was I love the talking heads that appeared so Mm. there were a bunch of people um, ranging from like her former assistant who was her friend um, from the town that she grew up in Um, there are a few like pop culture and pop music critics which I really enjoyed um, as well as like the director of this like director or marketing person for this record company you know that like boss woman with like the curls it's like telling it as it is Mm. got her name but loved um like her insights so I found that really interesting like seeing people from the industry throughout the years they even had a paparazzi guy who like literally was on her for like six years or so and that was very interesting hearing hearing him try to justify Mm -hmm. what he did especially because we know like the media had a massive part to do in her like downfall yeah totally that was so shocking that was such a standout for me so basically Mm -hmm. if you haven't seen it there's a paparazzi talking about the day he shot the pictures of Britney attacking the car with the umbrella those famous pictures that we all know so yeah she had already shaved her head um she was with her friend and they were driving around getting gas and he was just like hounding her and then finally she cracks and understandably like every time there were paparazzi around in the documentary I'd be like oh my god like how does she not just yell leave me the f alone so she finally cracks and grabs an umbrella and starts bashing his car and he's trying to justify it like I was just trying to like do my job and he just you could tell that he had like really spent a long time trying to justify it like I think he knew it was wrong deep down but he was kind of just like yeah she just like went wild oh my favorite part was the interviewer um because he was like you know I think it was very much a two-way relationship like we needed her and she needed us and you know she never told us to stop she might say can you please leave me alone for the day and then the like the interviewer was like what about the time she told you to leave her alone Mm. yeah (laughs) that that was it 
Mm. He said, she never told us to leave her alone. And the guy was like, but what about the day? She said, leave me alone. And he was like, yeah, but I meant, she said just for the day, not forever. Yeah. Ridiculous. <laughs> um, So we've kind of spoken a bit about like the conservatorship and like the very basics of what the documentary was about, but I'd love to hear your opinion on it. I really liked it. I saw a lot of discourse around like, oh, it wasn't groundbreaking. Like I already knew all this stuff. But for me, I think maybe the Gen Z's watching this, it could be quite like a little bit groundbreaking. For instance, I didn't really see much of her like in her very young years, I felt. Um, And that was so interesting to seeing that change. I feel weird about this, but what I was thinking was like, I so agree that she deserves justice and that the Free Britney movement is definitely um, needed, right? It's just horrible seeing the way that she's treated. But it's very interesting that so much like media attention, and I get it because she's like obviously such an like massive celebrity, but so much energy is put into this when essentially, I don't know, it seems like a form of like modern slavery to some extent, but modern slavery is like such a all-encompassing issue that affects millions of people well what I mean is like of course there's like different struggles and different um like when we're talking about coronavirus before it was like like you know there's different levels of like trauma or like wrongdoings in the world and I just feel like there is so much energy just for this one person when like millions of people are going through obviously different but similar situations where they Mm. aren't in control of their finances or have been like abused in some type of way Mm. is this like wrong to say because obviously one person is still very important that's what I'm trying to like (laughs) yeah no I get where you where you're coming from um like she's still a mega rich celebrity but I think what I've taken from it is that she everyone's putting energy into free Britney etc but she's like a symbol for how we treat women in the media So she is like, I mean, as well as, for example, Amy Winehouse, Paris Hilton, Lindsay Lohan. Yeah, they're like very, very, very privileged um, and very wealthy, but they were still treated really badly by the media. And I think the conversation around the fact that women were toppled and brought down for our entertainment in the 2000s Mm. is like something that we need to talk about and something that we shouldn't be repeating. I think that it's stopped a little bit. But for example, what's going on with Meghan Markle, like the fact that she mm. had to leave the royal family, it's a really similar situation. It, what happened to Amanda Bynes? Same mm. thing, kind of like that child star. They grow up a bit, they get, you know, torn to shreds and there's like nothing happens to the male celebrities, does it? Mm. Um, they can make mistakes over and over and over. So yeah, I think I, I do get what you're saying though. It is a lot of like energy and discussions for people who are privilege but I like the conversations of what it says about us as a society and at the end of the day mm-hmm. Britney Spears was considered the American dream and as we all know the American dream and celebrity and blah 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 is like so much of what our western society is based around so I think that's why it's getting so much attention yeah. I did find it very interesting as well because I was like okay why 
didn't why didn't I care that much about Britney I think it was because again the time time thing like she I, I wasn't in like her prime but it was so interesting because we had those cameos from like um Britney fans and it was like this like BIPOC gay guy talking about it and being like she represented the American dream like the all-American girl that we like strive to be but as the years went on like the crack started to show and it showed that she wasn't perfect and that also like resonated with us as well so I feel like sorry that was like did not really relate to what you were saying but like I see I see that how like it reflects us as a society Mm -hmm. even if these women are like in the upper echelons Mm. different classes obviously um I agree with what you're saying yeah she means a lot to millions Mm. of people and she what struck me a lot um as soon as I finished watching it was they were talking about her like she'd already died and that kind of like she was this, she was that. It reminded mm. me so much of like the Amy Winehouse movie where these women just like, and Anna Nicole Smith, yeah, they're treated like trash and then they die and it's like this disposable, okay, who's next, who's next. Yeah, there are a lot of interviews um, coming out this week as everyone is kind of analysing the documentary but also analysing the period of media during the 2000s. One I saw was going around just yesterday was of Lindsay Lohan on David Letterman only in 2013 when she was promoting Scary Movie 5. He was just hounding her about rehab and her drug addictions, alcohol addictions, and she handled it with so much grace and was kind of like, this wasn't in the pre-interview, like this hadn't Mm. been greenlit. And these men just like, yeah, talking to these young women and are so young, like Mm -hmm. In the documentary, there's footage of Britney Spears at 10 years old being asked, do you have a boyfriend? And can I be a boyfriend? Like this 50-year-old man, it's disgusting. It's so gross. Another one I saw was of Jay Leno talking about Monica Lewinsky, so obviously a similar time, late 90s, early noughties, making awful sexist jokes, quote-unquote. But one that really stuck with me, and you probably have seen it going around the internet this week, Um, was a monologue by talk show host Craig Ferguson and this was filmed in 2007 so as Brittany was really struggling we'll play a bit for you now but take note of how the audience laughs when he mentions the death of model Anna Nicole Smith which had just happened that year now I remember what's it's been happening in the press and the media recently and particularly in the so-called news outlets the the way the media is looking at the world I kind of had similar feelings when I when I used to watch America's Funniest Home Videos, you know, you'd be laughing at the kid falling over and then you go, wait a minute, put down the damn camera and help your kid! <laughs> what the hell is wrong with you? And I, and, I, and I think we're kind of holding the camera, and people are falling apart. People are, people are dying. That Anna Nicole Smith woman, she died. No, it's not a joke, you know, it's, it stops being funny. That, that She's got a six-week-old kid or six-month-old kid. What the hell is that? You know, and, I, I, and I, I'm starting to feel uncomfortable about making fun of these people. And for me, comedy should have a certain amount of joy in it. It should be about, about us attacking the powerful people, attacking the politicians and the, and the Trumps and the, and the blowhards and the world, going after them. We should be attacking the vulnerable people. And I think, I, I'm going to, this is totally a mea culpa, this is just for me. I think my aim's been off a bit recently. I, I, I want to change it a bit. So tonight, no Britney Spears jokes. This woman has two kids. She's 25 years old. She's a baby herself. She's a baby. What I found shocking about this monologue was, one, he was like the only person doing that at the time, but two, she would, like the way he says, she's 25 and she had two kids and I'm like, 
I'm going to be 25 this year. Mm. I feel so young. I can't imagine like having already yeah. been like this massive, like, you know, having millions of eyes on you for, you know, 10-ish years already. And she was so young and they just treated her like trash. I really remember I was like 11, 12-ish when all this was happening. So mm. yeah, those, and I was a Britney fan before. Um, so those images stuck with me and being that age, I did think like, oh, she's a bit like crazy. Mm. Obviously I was still in school, but I liked her music, but I did think like, yeah, the media manipulated my thoughts as a fan to be like, mm. oh, she's off the rail. She's crazy. And then you look at it, you're like, I would be like that too. Like to be 25 year old, years old, have two kids, have that much pressure. It's just tragic truly tragic and I think that monologue really sums up the interviews of that time yeah seeing her sitting down at a restaurant booth and being hounded by probably 50 um, photographers in a tiny place flashing bulbs of light non-stop of course like of course she reacted in that way hey mm. um Watching back the interviews of how talk show hosts would talk to these women, like, you know, there was the other one about Britney being like, everyone's talking about your breasts. And like, she's like, my breasts? Yeah, exactly. And she still hounded it with grace and kind of laughed it off. But that is so uncomfortable. And even watching that, I was like, oh my God, like, thank God we're never, we're not like that anymore. Our media isn't that bad anymore. But then I think Caroline Flack, died only a couple years previously due to the media and also I'm just thinking social media opens up a whole new level of scrutiny and I Mm -hmm. think they were pretty light on that in documentary they were like oh it's good because Instagram allows Britney to share like her life the way she wants but there's also this other level of like hate that comes from people it's not just like media publications talking about it now Mm. um but again on a positive like a whole lot of love and support that also comes out of social media especially from the free britney movement that is i don't know mainly digital yeah it's interesting that the free britney movement in the documentary they say it started from like a podcast which i didn't know but yeah it has been such like a hashtag and a digital movement would this have happened without the internet who knows something else we have to talk about of course is justin timberlake uh-huh. i was a fan of justin i have been my whole life similar vibes to britney my mom was only in her like late 20s 30s around this time so she was always bumping this type of music i was like mm. four or five six years old like of that era i guess and now i'm like ew <laughs> I feel really slimy now when I see his picture because not just because of this, but many things. So Justin Timberlake is painted in quite a bad light in this documentary. He is heard bragging about taking her virginity, making crude jokes about sexuality, and then also her mental health for years to come, like at award shows, like in speeches. He just keeps like referencing her. So yeah, what did you think of that? Yeah, I, again, didn't know much about this drama, but, you know, the documentary explains it and he plays the narrative really well, so it makes it look like Britney cheated on him and ending his relationship. What what was that song? Um, Cry Me a River. Yeah, (laughs) thank God I didn't have to sing it. (laughs) Cry Me a River. I I didn't know it was about her. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) I know. Sorry. I'm like a baby. (laughs) 
So it was horrible. Even the music video very like very much insinuates that it's Britney. You know, mm-hmm. you see this like blonde girl with him in it. And you know, Britney's career was really damaged by that. But of course, Justin receives sympathy, receives sympathy and has had such a thriving career still to this day. So double standards mm-hmm. for sure. And in those interviews, like there's an interview with Diane Sawyer. I saw a tweet that said, mm-hmm. so she's American journalist. I saw a tweet that said, we have to hold Diane Sawyer to account as well for the interviews that she did with these people because it's the famous interview where um, Diane is asking Brittany about her relationship with Justin and Brittany bursts into tears and it's just, it makes me cry every time I see her. Like she just looks so vulnerable and she's, she goes, oh, strong Brittany, be strong. And it's like, oh my gosh. And Diane also did an interview with Justin and she was like more playing into like that narrative of like, Britney's the cheat Mm. so I thought it was very interesting as well that Justin and Britney both started out on Mickey Mouse Clubhouse um as well as like Ryan Gosling Christina Aguilera they were all child stars that's where they started yet their careers went completely different ways they started in the same place they had a relationship when they were teenagers Mm. Justin was in a massive boy band Britney's like this amazing solo artist and then he skyrockets because of the way well you could say because they're both talented so was it the way the media treated justin that made everyone like him he's the boy next door he's a good guy he does the soundtrack to like whatever trolls, trolls or something. Now. <laughs> yeah. um and britney had like a mental breakdown and is now like a workhorse um working in las vegas i think what's what it was appealing about both of them was the same thing. So when you were saying that um, Justin was like the boy next door, she was also that, you know, she had that like American charm. She was very sweet and innocent. So I think that's how they were kind of on the same footing, but because the media is like built on attacking and criticizing women, mm-hmm. not in the same way that men are like shown, that's, that's, the difference you know they were both so appealing in similar ways but the way that we like take both of them for what they are Mm -hmm. is like extremely different yeah and also men are allowed to make mistakes over and over and over again um so justin finally came out with an apology this week after like 15 20 years he also apologized to janet jackson within the same apology which i found interesting um for the 2004 super bowl moment where justin ripped janet's costume revealing her nipple to the audience for a second he says it was an accident and there was meant to be something else under there it was all a misunderstanding they were both shocked he was embarrassed as well um but janet's career was really impacted by this but after the incident so in the same year Justin was asked to perform at the Grammys and Janet was blacklisted. How much of a double send is that? And also she's obviously a woman of colour, so like I can imagine Mm. be even more, you know, stigmatised, I guess, or shunned by the media. Um, I saw a tweet that said, quote, Janet lost money, deals, the respect from the general public. Radio stopped playing her songs. MTV wasn't showing her music videos anymore. One of the most successful artists of all time disappeared from an entire generation. Her legacy was totally damaged. And Jezebel put out an article with a headline, Like most women in their late 30s, Britney Spears has received a half-hearted apology from her terrible high school boyfriend. (laughs) Now we have the lovely apology. You can see it on Instagram. We'll link it in the show notes, but we will also read a little bit out for you now. So from Justin Timberlake one day ago. 
I've seen the messages, tags, comments, and concerns, and I want to respond. I am deeply sorry for the times in my life where my actions contributed to the problem, where I spoke out of turn or did not speak up for what was right. I understand that I fell short in these moments and in many others and benefited from a system that condones misogyny and racism. I specifically want to apologize to Britney Spears and Janet Jackson, both individually because I care for and respect these women and I know I failed. I also feel compelled to respond in part because everyone involved deserves better and most importantly because this is a larger conversation that I wholeheartedly want to be part of and grow from. The industry is flawed. It sets men, especially white men, up for success. It's designed this way. As a man in a privileged position, I have to be vocal about this. Because of my ignorance, I didn't recognize it for all that it was while it was happening in my own life, but I do not want to ever benefit from others being pulled down again. I have not been perfect in navigating all of this throughout my career. I know this apology is a first step and doesn't absolve the past. I want to take accountability for my own missteps in all of this, as well as be part of a world that uplifts and supports. I care deeply about the well-being of the people I love and have loved. I can do better and I will do better. What are your thoughts about this? I don't think it's up. It's about apology. I do hope he apologized to them both privately and separately. Mm-hmm. I think they both deserve that. One of the comments, the top comments is, Alexa, play Too Little Too Late by Jojo. <laughs> but I think it does talk about his privilege. He's learned as well. He was also young at the time, but I don't know. I just, it annoys me. He's like benefited so, 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 so much from these women. Mm-hmm. And now he can apologize 17 years later. Um, yeah. Like he's made millions of dollars off Britney and their relationship. Mm-hmm. And it's easy to apologize when he's like discarded the carcass of her career. Obviously she's still making, but like she has had a rough go. He's gone mm-hmm. from strength to strength, won all these awards. He's on movies. He's got the, you know, actress wife and the kids and everything. So yeah, I'm interested to see what he does next. And I do hope he has apologized to them personally. Yeah, I definitely hope so too. And some other comments um, share the same sentiment that I have, which is like, don't be shy, be more specific because it's easy to have these niceties. And I think obviously he's got a great PR team behind him that's helped him formulate this response. And I think it touches on all the correct things. Like he acknowledges systemic like oppression. But again, I just feel like... Like short, like now he's a grown man. Like he would have, he could have had these thoughts without it being publicized Mm -hmm. in a documentary that's caught like global news. Because of course it's in response to the documentary, obviously. I kind of, I don't know, when I think when he was at the beginning of his career and he was like trash talking Britney, he was so young. And especially during that time, I don't think we were having as nuanced conversations about um, like misogyny and whatever back then so I almost excuse him he was caught up in fame whatever like probably had quite a big head um but now like he's a grown-ass man Mm. yeah obviously it's not our apology to accept but I do think it has been crafted very well it was very well written (laughs) because my first reaction was like oh that's great like that's a good (laughs) apology like good for him and then I was like hold on a second Jasmine are you holding this white man to like a much like lower standard than everyone else so yeah they are our thoughts on the Britney documentary 
Um, was there anything else you wanted to say? No, but I'd be very keen to hear what you guys are thinking. So leave a comment on our Instagram post. Like, what did you like about the documentary? Anything interesting that you took away from it as well? And if you don't have a link to it, I have been like handing out <laughs> links on the sly. Every time I send a copy and send a link to like a random, I have the theme song of like the, you wouldn't steal a car. You wouldn't steal a handbag playing in my head. I've been conditioned. <laughs> Like, even in 2021, I'm like, I'm a pirate. <laughs> but, you pirate know, bay. <laughs> but I'm justifying it by thinking the media, including the New York Times, has made millions of dollars off Britney Spears. So mm. this is a protest. You guys have it for free. Oh, I've sent out like 30 links to people. So, um, yeah, DM us if you haven't watched it and you would like it. Yeah, Robin Hood who? <laughs> It wouldn't be a Culture Club episode if we didn't have a segment about sex toys, apparently. (laughs) We talk about them every second week. But I feel like this is quite interesting. Um, So basically, Australian-based retailer Cotton On, who's basically known for clothing and their other stores, Cotton On Body, Cotton On Kids, is now selling sex toys. Yeah, so you sent me this screenshot the other day and I was – kind of surprised um it was officially launched through cotton on bodies instagram stories on monday the 8th of feb um but they are called the smile makers vibrators there are six different designs all of them are 69.95 except one that is 119.95 initial thoughts on this i was because you were like you were kind of surprised i was like really shocked this is like your target or your Oh, God, I can't think of any other source. Um, But, like, they're such a mainstream, like, Australian brand. They're quite useful as well. They kind of play it safe. So I was like, whoa, like, this is a massive retailer doing something that we haven't seen that much. I mean, uh, even in the past year, I know, like, Bond started selling menstrual, like, period undies. Um, So, like, these taboos are slowly coming out of the woodworks. But, like... I didn't think sex toys would be here so quickly. Um, It's interesting that they are under kind of a euphemism of like smile makers, Mm. vibrators. Um, And if you look at them, they're very cute. They're very pastel and they don't look like your traditional toys. So I feel like they're playing it as safe as they can. Mm. For instance, in their Instagram announcement, they had like a little warning which said, um, this content isn't for everyone and we want to make sure you're comfortable just to like ease the audience in because the audience is probably used to like swimsuits and t-shirts. <laughs> Bam. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting because how would that even work? Like don't you have to be over 18 to buy sex toys in Australia? Do would you? you have to show your ID? I think you do. Don't do you? you? I want to Google it right now. Yeah, that's interesting. Because like, with like online shopping, you could buy online, anything anyway. Exactly. Well, there's one here from the Brisbane Times that says, under Queensland's indecent treatment laws, people under the age of 18 can enter a sex shop, but the onus is on the sex shop itself to usher them out, similar to if you were well, under 18 and you went into like a bottle shop. Even if you hadn't bought anything, they're kind of like, mm, get out. But that's a sex toy shop. So like yeah. there are so many teens going into Cotton On all the time and even younger picking up candles and mugs off the shelf and you're like, oh, what's this? Um, I think it's good. I think that they are quite non-intimidating. It's not like a nine-inch dildo or something sitting on the on the shelf. 
Um, so I think it could be a good introductory way for like younger people to get into sex toys. But I was very, very annoyed by their names. I mean, what? Like, let's go through them. So they named them the surfer, the Frenchman, the tennis coach, the millionaire, and the fireman. What? Why are we associating? Okay, why all the men, for one? I know. They're vibrators, so you're going to assume most of the time. Not always men and people with penises can use vibrators, but you're going to assume to someone with a vulva. Why are they saying that these are men like I don't understand and they're very masculine in the pictures like they've got the tennis coach has like a Mm. moustache and like the old like Mm. 80s um tennis like sweat headband on and yeah I don't know why they went down that route they could have literally just said like the color you know yeah well I mean the descriptions are quite funny it's like the surf will make you ride the waves and the tennis coach hits the spot each time and the Frenchman is like a French kiss and stuff but it's just very like heterosexual and not queer inclusive it's like very much like a very manly man like I need a man who's a millionaire that has money or like a super strong fireman or Mm. whatever and it's just like uh what and Mm. especially because it's quite like a youthful brand con on you would think that these could be um like people just like discovering themselves for the first time not necessarily it's quite aggressive I think putting like a person Mm. to a sex toy right it's well weird Mm. yeah I agree I don't know will you be buying one (laughs) (laughs) no I get a lot for free (laughs) A lot of sex toys or what? (laughs) Sex (laughs) toys. How about you? No, I won't. Yeah. Fair. Yeah, I think it's a nice way. Like if I was a teenager, I'd be like, hmm, interesting. But like when we were growing up, it was so like you would have – because online shopping wasn't as massive Mm. as well. So it's like if you want to buy like one of those, you have to go into a sex shop and you can't go into a sex shop. Even when I was 18 – like overseas, I was still like, oh, my God, this feels so, like, naughty and forbidden. Mm-hmm. So I think this is, like, a good step into normalising pleasure and letting young people talk about pleasure more. It is a nice gesture. They put it in their, like, self-care, self-love range. And it's nice if it is next to all their candles. Like, this is how some people relax and practice self-care. So it is nice. To, it might be in a pretty storefront that's not intimidating and perhaps someone can stumble upon it Hmm. that might not have what do you recommend to us this week maggie so i've actually got two recommendations but let's get started my first recommendation is an article called do we only care about asian people when they're rich which was written by manisha rudran for l australia I really enjoyed this piece so much so that I've actually read it three times now. So it looks at the rise of shows like Bling Empire, which is on Netflix, as well as the Crazy Rich Asians franchise. Side note, have you watched Bling Empire? No, I haven't. What's that on? I think it's on Netflix, I think. Um, But it's like a reality TV show following the lives of like affluent rich Asians Mm. in America, I want to say. And it's supposed to be very like lighthearted and funny. I'll probably watch it. But anyway, I haven't yet. 
Manisha makes great points about colorism in the article um, where dark-skinned Asians are often neglected or left at the sidelines. Um, And we were actually lucky enough to have Manisha read out an extract. So here we go. Just as I wasn't at all surprised to see some Asian bodies, brown-skinned Southeast Asians, relegated to set dressing or in the background as porters and crazy rich Asians, because white people certainly aren't carrying the Louis Vuitton suitcases, I wasn't surprised to see an entirely lighter-skinned Asian main cast in Bling Empire. Is this perhaps better? Does zero diversity on The Bachelor in a roundabout and racist way save Asian people the embarrassment via association? The point has been made that it's also tiring for Asian people, especially darker-skinned Southeast Asian people, to suffer the fate of representation that goes the other way. Again, in an ideal world, the choices wouldn't be a pitiful, impoverished orphan in the mud or unfathomably wealthy heiress. As an Australian with a mixed-race Singaporean background, the closest and best media touchstone I cherish is simply Lee Lin Chin. Perhaps the more pertinent question is not who is crafting these stories and are they truthful, but what does it say that these particular ones rise to the top, either to the box office lists or the coveted Netflix most popular rankings? Is it because Western audiences can only relate to Asian characters filtered through their similarity to pre-existing Western tropes? Google notes the nickname Asian Kim Kardashian in its search results for DJ Kim Lee, for example. Beyond sharing an hourglass figure and the general high-octane glam presentations on their respective social media profiles, the tangible similarities are thin on the ground. And yet, the comparison endures. Similarly, male leads in Asian-helmed romantic comedies and dramas will nearly always be marketed as an Asian prince charming. The appreciation of Asian people is so often filtered through Western tropes, as if a spoonful or comparison or adjacence to whiteness is needed to help the medicine go down. So yeah, I especially love the part where she talks about how Western audiences can only relate to Asian characters when linked to pre-existing Western tropes. It kind of solidifies that whiteness is like the norm and it's always like, oh, the BIPOC version of this, or, you know, rather than letting it just stand for itself without having to have like a white comparison. So yeah, very, very thought-provoking piece. Really loved it. That sounds really good. It's something that I've had to consciously work on like over the past year or two of like being more mindful of what I consume and thinking, okay, which stories am I hearing? Which Mm. stories am I more subconsciously drawn to? Things like that. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to reading this one. So I also have a second recommendation, Couldn't Resist, and I am recommending the film Minari which we briefly talked about last week, actually, because it was nominated for the Golden Globes category of Best Foreign Speaking Film, even though it's an American film. So last week, my sisters and I actually went to like a preview screening of it at Palace Cinemas, and it was wonderful. So I had watched the trailer twice and cried all the way through both viewings. So I was very excited to see this. Um, I don't remember what I like how much I talked about it last week, but basically it's directed and written by Lee Isaac Chung, and it is a semi-biographical telling of a Korean family moving to an Arkansas farm in the 80s. You watch as the dad tries to build a farm and make something out of himself, and you also get to see the two kids navigate the cultural differences of being Korean and also like being in the South. 
that feeling is also heightened when their grandma comes to live with them and she's such a great character one of the standout actors in the film you know she's not your typical grandma she swears she loves watching wrestling and she loves gambling it's great it's a hoot mm-hmm. um i found that this was such a beautiful moving tale with really great storytelling and a beautiful soundtrack absolutely loved it i've been so submerged in this world for the past week or so you know the soundtracks on repeat i've learned a song on the piano i'm also writing an article about this so i'm all over it um i really encourage people to go out and support it wow that sounds so mm so good we yeah i would love to go see it at the movies hopefully can soon mm. but mm. otherwise it's definitely on my list what will you be recommending this week jasmine so obviously recommending the britney doco number one but another thing that i really enjoyed this week was a netflix movie called the dig so it just came out this week and it is a british drama starring carrie mulligan who is um, Daisy in The Great Gatsby and is also the main character in the new film Promising Young Woman. She's an amazing actress. I love her. And it is based on the 2007 novel of the same name by John Preston and it reimagines the events of the 1939 excavation of Sutton Hoo. So it's based off a true story. In 1939, a wealthy widow and landowner, Edith Pretty, played by Carrie Mulligan, hires a freelance excavator, Basil Brown, who is played by Ralph Fiennes, who is also Voldemort in Harry Potter. Yeah. So it's weird to see him play like a normal human. (laughs) Edith hires Basil to see what lays underneath her land in Suffolk, England. And what they find changes the way we think of the Dark Ages. So I don't want to give too much away, but it's kind of like public knowledge anyway. So what they find is medieval cemeteries and ship burials, which is full of Anglo-Saxon treasure. Mm. It's really fascinating because it's based on a true story and it combines a few of my favorite things. So it's got some love stories trickled throughout. I'm sure a lot of like dramatic liberties were given to it. Don't know if everything in the story is real, obviously, <laughs> but you know, it's kind of a good, it's a good drama in that. It also has a bit of World War II history because it's obviously right on the verge and as well as archaeological curiosity, which I find fascinating just the way we like leave behind our societies Mm. and then modern people find them and think this is how they lived and like makes me think what will be left of us and all these things. (laughs) I also found it interesting to watch because it is set on the verge of World War II, obviously. And I just felt like so many parallels to what we're all going through today in that feeling of uncertainty, like they have to stop the excavating at certain points because of war and also the way everyone's listening to the radio and everyone's talking about it in the pubs and et cetera. So, yeah, that was really fascinating. And it was just a good film. You really go on a journey with the characters. But, yeah, it is very British. So it's set in war England. So, yeah, if you enjoy movies like that, then I would recommend that. Where can we watch it? Sorry, you can watch it on Netflix. Oh, awesome. I haven't heard of this before. Um, Carrie Mulligan is so busy. I know, so busy. <laughs> she does not stop, does she? Because this came out this year. Mm. Yeah, she's so amazing. Love her. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Culture Club. We really hope you enjoyed it. If you did, could you pretty please leave us a little rate and review over on Apple Podcasts? 
because it would mean the world to us. We really appreciate you listening as always. And we will be back here on Tuesday. Bye. Bye.